Hi, David. Inflation continues to be a dominant theme in global markets. Hi, Alex. I mean, you're right. I mean, we've seen some big upside surprises to inflation in recent weeks, and and that certainly intensified the debate around you know, how high inflation will get, how persistent it will prove to be, and the implications for monetary policy, especially from the US Federal Reserve. Now, inflation in the US was 6.2% in, in October. So that's its highest annual rate since 1990. And I think it was interesting because, you know, inflation pressures are broadening beyond the so-called you know, reopening effects such as higher airline fares. And, and we're also starting to see signs that higher wages are feeding through into higher inflation in some sectors. Um, so, for example, we saw some pickup in the cost of outdoor, you know, of dining, as well as a pickup in um, shelter or, or imputed housing costs. But, you know, higher inflation is not just a US story. Um, we also had inflation prints of above 4% for the euro area and the UK. And, and like the US, you know, inflation is, 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 is far from peaking. But I do think that the the, the demand supply imbalance is much more acute in the US than Europe. And, and that's largely because of the sheer scale of fiscal transfers to households you know, last year and uh, this year. Now, you know, you and I, Alex, have discussed several times the drivers of higher inflation, um, why we're in the higher for longer camp. Um, but a, a lot of market participants and the Fed continue to sort of cling to the view that supply constraints will ease and, and therefore inflation will fall sharply next year. So, you know, when I look at the consensus forecast for US inflation at the end of 2022, it's only 2.6%. I mean, I mean, that's not really much above the Fed's long run 2% inflation target. But I do think that, you know, a lot of these supply issues including mismatches and shortages in the labour market, uh, are likely to persist for longer than many expect. Um, higher energy and house prices have yet to fully, fully feed through into higher consumer prices. And, and wages and inflation expectations are moving higher. So, you know, our own forecasts for US inflation have it running well above 4% by the time the Fed is scheduled to end the taper of its bond purchases in June of next year. And, and I think it's you know, clear that you know, consumers and businesses, you know, we don't really notice inflation of, of, of 2% which is where it's been, in fact, it's been lower than that for most of the, 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 the decade, decade before the um, pandemic. But we do notice when prices are rising four, five, six um, percent. And I think the longer higher inflation persists, the more it will become embedded in you know, consumer and business expectations, changes in behavior. And in that sense, higher inflation can become self-perpetuating. And, and I think there is a danger that the Fed uh, gets too far behind the inflation curve and is forced to apply the monetary brakes much more forcefully. Yet despite recent upside surprises on inflation, the 10-year US Treasury yields have stayed in a range around 1.5%. Yeah, I mean, you know, as we discussed in the uh, last podcast, Alex, I mean, you know, we've certainly seen um, volatility in short-term interest rate markets, and they're now pricing you know, two Fed rate hikes in the second half of uh, next year. Um, but the end point of the Fed hiking cycle, the so-called terminal rate, 
uh, remains around one and three quarters percent. And that's helping to anchor the 10 year uh, yield. Now, the liftoff in Fed policy rates actually could come sooner than July of next year. I mean, if, if, if inflation and payrolls meaningfully exceed Fed market expectations, you know, the Fed does have the option to accelerate its taper and its asset purchases sooner than June. And that would provide room for it to uh, start hiking rates uh, sooner. That's, that's that's not a base case, but I, but I think the sort of, you know, it does indicate what I think is a direction of, of, of travel. Where I think we're really in uncharted territory is in terms of real yield. So inflation expectations and break-evens, you know, have followed realised inflation higher. But as you say, uh, Alex, you know, nominal yields have been broadly unchanged. So, you know, by, by, by definition, uh, real yields have fallen. And, and the real yield on the Treasury Inflation Protected uh, note or or tips is at a record low of around minus 1.2%. And, and if you think of monetary policy and financial conditions in terms of the impact on real yields, then on this measure, policy is actually looser today than it was at the start of the year, despite higher inflation. Um, now, you know, again, there's some technical issues here. I think part of the reason why real yields are so low is because the Fed has actually been disproportionately buying tips. And, and inflation fears have also driven big investor inflows into inflation-linked um, debt. So, you know, with the Fed now tapering its bond buying, including that of inflation-protected um, securities, that, that kind of technical will start to ease. But I think there's a more fundamental story as to why real yields have stayed deeply negative. And, and it's essentially a story around excess private savings and uh, liquidity, which is the flip side of the extraordinary fiscal easing that we've seen funded by central bank bond buying. Um, and, you know, that excess private savings in one form or other finds its way into financial assets, including safe assets, including um, uh, government bonds. So that's helping to keep government bond yields uh, at the longer end uh, relatively low. But but I think this excess savings and liquidity is become, going to become less abundant in um, 2022. Um, households, I think, are going to draw down on some of the excess savings. Um, you, we're going to see a pickup in investment spending. Um, the corporate sector is sitting on a lot of cash um, at the moment. And along with a upward repricing of the um, terminal rate, you know, I do expect real as well as nominal yields to move higher through um, 2022. And, and that's going to be a headwind for risk assets. Negative real yields, you know, have boosted long duration growth equities in particular, but it's also extended the search for yield that has helped compress, for example, credit spreads. You mentioned the search for yields with yields on corporate bonds at a multi-year low. Is there excessive exuberance in credit markets? Look, I mean, the short answer to that question is, is no. When government bond yields are so low, inevitably that's going to pull down yields. It's going to drive up valuations across all assets, including credit. Um, but, but corporate credit fundamentals have improved. I, I mean, they're actually surprisingly good post um, pandemic. Um, leverage is back down to its pre-pandemic levels as earnings have recovered. Credit rating, tr credit rating trends are positive. We're seeing many more upgrades than downgrades. 
and actual and expected default risk is very low. It actually continues to um, move lower. So, you know, look, you know, is is you know, credit. I think like most financial assets is expensive by historical standards because of these extraordinary low uh, bond yields. But I don't think you know credit is meaningfully out of whack with the underlying um, fundamentals. Um, interestingly, you know, in recent weeks, European credit has actually become quite a bit less expensive. Um, Euro investment grade credit spreads are around 100 basis points. That's actually the widest level for 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 this year. Um, we've also seen an almost 50 basis point widening since the tights in mid-September in Euro high yield credit spreads to around 340 basis points. So they're actually you know, wider than US high yield, despite having you know, on average a better um, credit uh, quality. Um, I, I mean, in our view, these moves are mostly um, technically uh, driven. We, we saw an increase in supply of corporate debt after the summer low. You know, as we've discussed before, the volatility in short term um, interest rates. We've also seen a rise in euro swap spreads because the supply of government bonds um, has declined into uh, uh, year end. So, you know, when I look at, if you like, a, a kind of purer measure of credit risk, credit, you know, investor sentiment in credit markets, which is um, CDS uh, indices, then actually they've not moved very much in, in Europe, even though we've seen this widening in the spreads on cash uh, uh, cash bonds. So I, I, I certainly don't think it reflects uh, a sort of reassessment of macro risks and, and in particular sort of re-rating higher of uh, default and credit risk uh, more, more generally. All, all that being said, I mean, at current valuations, you know, developed market credit doesn't offer that much upside potential in terms of capital appreciation and, and you know, returns are really going to come through clipping coupons. Um, I still think credit remains a, a, a relatively attractive source of income for investors. It's less vulnerable to drawdowns from higher than expected inflation than core fixed income. I think it's less vulnerable as well to growth disappointments than equities. So you know, we still have a bias towards you know, shorter duration uh, credit uh, towards carry. So you know, leverage loans, securitized credit, short duration emerging market debt. Um, you know, speaking on emerging market debt, I think if investors, you know, looking for more value are starting to turn their attention to emerging market, um, hard currency, sovereign and corporate credit. Uh, emerging market investment grade rated corporate debt, excluding China, um, offers around a 40 basis point pickup to US investment grade with much lower duration or interest rate risk. If we strip out China and the property developers, and again, that's something we've discussed in, in previous podcasts, the sort of stress we're seeing in the property sector in China. But if we strip that you know, financially distressed sector out, then uh, we project the default rate for emerging market high yield next year at just 1%, while credit spreads are currently you know, 50 basis points or so wider than US um, high yield. But you know, if I if I kind of close our conversation by bringing it back round to the discussion we've been having around inflation and and real yields, you know, if inflation surprises, you know, meaningfully to the upside or continues to surprise meaningfully to uh, the upside, and and that triggers a dramatic rather than gradual rise in global and especially U.S. 
rates, there's going to be volatility in, in risk assets, and that's going to include credit. Um, so, you know, credit's certainly not immune to the macro cross currents that are currently centred uh, around inflation, despite what I think are, are very strong fundamentals. Thanks for your time today, David. Thanks, Alex. This podcast is issued by Blue Bay or one of its entities. Please check the entire Blue Bay disclaimer at the following website, www.bluebay.com forward slash podcast disclaimer. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only. It is not intended, nor should it be intended as investment, tax or legal advice. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell, nor is it a solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction. This podcast is not available for distribution in any jurisdiction where such distribution would be prohibited and is not aimed at such persons in those jurisdictions. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. Blue Bay is under no obligation to update the information in the podcast to reflect changes after the publication date. The information contained in this podcast is believed to be reliable, but Blue Bay cannot and does not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness or completeness. The document is intended only for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the Markets and Financial Instruments Directive or in the US by accredited investors as defined by the Securities Act of 1933 or qualified purchases as defined in the Investment Company Act of 1940 as applicable and should not be relied upon by any other category of consumer. No part of this document may be reproduced, redistributed or passed on directly or indirectly to any other person, published in whole or in part for any purpose in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay or one of its entities. Copyright 2021.